Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. I do pray that each and every one of us are sincerely humbled at the opportunity to, to even gather together, let alone open your holy word. God, I pray that each and every one of us understands that we are not worthy to be here, to call ourselves your children. To read from your word. Yet in your great mercy and grace. You have called us to salvation. You have drawn us to yourself. And so we are able to meet. Not just as friends. But meet as brothers and sisters. Brethren in Christ. So God I pray that through your word this morning. We would be strengthened. We would be edified. We would be equipped for the work of the ministry. God that we would be zealous. For the good works that you have prepared for us. God that we may glorify you and please you in all things. So I pray now that through your spirit you would bless us. You would grant to us an understanding of your word. Open our eyes that we may see and behold the truths of who you are. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. I know that for many of us we probably very familiar with the great commission. And a lot of times when you hear the Great Commission, your mind immediately goes to missions. The Great, Com- the Great Commission, and it leads us to think about missionaries. Sending missionaries out, uh, sending them out to make disciples and everything else. But this morning, I just want us to walk through this brief text. I'm, I'm not here to talk to you about the importance of missions or anything else. This is a command from Christ to His disciples. This is a command that each and every one of us should take to heart. So this isn't a text just for the important of missions. This is a text towards all believers. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now just by way of of note and just hopefully to kind of undergird this. In the Old Testament, God spoke to His people from the mountain. If you think about Exodus, if you think about uh, Moses getting the law and giving the law to the people, if you think about... Israel uh, entering into covenant with God, or rather God entering into covenant with Israel there in the Old Testament, that all took place on the holy mountain of God. In fact, Moses and the burning bush. When Moses saw uh, and spoke with God um, through through the burning bush, it was told him, this will be a sign to you, once I have delivered my people out, you will come and you will and you will worship me on this mountain. And so that theme, that idea 
is, is an important one within the Scriptures. In the Gospel of Matthew uh, and the other Gospels as well. But the, the, Sermon on the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, we often refer to it as it's the Sermon on the Mount. And that was something that, of course, Christ taught His disciples there. And we often refer to it as uh, the Beatitudes. But it was the Sermon on the Mount. And here, at the, at the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, before He ascends to the right hand of the Father, He has directed His disciples to meet Him on a specified mountain. Now, I'm not saying that this is, the same, this is not Mount Sinai. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this theme is important. This theme is important that God speaks to His people. God gives commands to His people. And you can see this connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament that God's people receive their instruction. They are, uh, they are called to obey and to, and to submit and to follow through with all things that are spoken to them by their Father and by their Savior, Christ the Lord. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. God is the only one worthy of worship. So the fact that these eleven worshipped Christ on the mountain is proof positive that Christ is certainly equal with the Father. That Christ is the I Am. All things were created through Him, by Him, and for Him. He is preeminent over all things. Jesus is Lord. That is something we often say as believers. That's something that, again, every Christian you ever talk to, they're not going to balk at that. They're not going to say, oh, Jesus is Lord. I don't know if I can get on, I don't know if I can get on board with that. The vast majority of people who call themselves Christians, even if they're just nominal at best, if you say Jesus is Lord, they'll probably follow that up with an amen. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Consider what that means. Don't let that be a Christian catchphrase in your life. Don't let that just be a Christian slogan in your life. Those three words, Jesus is Lord, ought to shape the entirety of your life. Every decision you make, every word you speak, um, every thought that you have, every thought that you entertain, Every interaction that you have with others ought to be shaped and molded by the fact that Jesus is Lord. And if He is Lord, He is to be obeyed. He is to be heard and He is to be obeyed. They worshipped Him. He is not just to be obeyed, He is to be worshipped because He is worthy of all Worship. Do we worship Him? And we're not not just talking about here on a Sunday morning being a church. Well, that's a silly question to ask preacher. I mean, don't you see us all here in church worshiping the Lord? That's all I'm talking about. When you are at home, do you live a life of worship? When you're driving in your car, when you're doing the mundane things of life, is all of your life a sacrifice and an offering of worship? To the Lord of all creation? If He is Lord, it ought to shape everything about our lives. He is to be worshipped. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind and, and offering up, live your life as living sacrifices to Him, which is your reasonable service. Your lives, your entire lives as living sacrifices. Our life is meant to be a life of worship. Why? Because He's Lord and He's worthy. If we think that Christ is only worthy of worship on Sundays, we don't think He's Lord. If you think that Jesus is only to be worshipped, I'll even add Wednesday in there. If you think that Jesus is only to be worshipped on Sundays and Wednesdays, you don't believe He's Lord. You say, that's a really blunt statement, Caleb. Are you sure you want to stand by that? I absolutely want to stand by that. If someone is Lord, they're not just Lord on one or two days of the week. Christ isn't just Lord of Sunday. He is Lord of all. King of kings, Lord of lords. They worshipped Him. Revelation chapter 5. By the way, I don't have nearly as many cross-references as I did the last Sunday morning I was here, so please don't panic. Romans chapter 5. A beautiful illustration of how Christ is worthy. Because you might be asking yourself, well, He is the Lord. Is is He really worthy to be worshipped? You know, let's get some more meat on this bone. Let's... Uh, Let's get some more proof positive that He really is Lord and He really is worthy to be worshipped. Revelation 5, Then I saw at the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep Loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There is only one that is worthy. We continue on in Revelation 5 there. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. In golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, language, and people, and nation. By the way, keep that line in mind. We're in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. And here we're in Revelation. It says, You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy of all praise. He is the Lamb that was slain. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Much in the same way that the eleven there on the mountain worshipped Him. He is Lord. And He is worthy of all worship. They had followed Christ. They had heard His teachings. They had seen His miracles. But when He was crucified, they mourned His death. And they didn't fully understand the things that He had told them. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. That was kind of lost on them. The Son of Man must go and suffer many things. Even must be put to death. But He will raise again. That was kind of lost on them. They didn't fully grasp that. They had followed Him. They had heard Him. They had believed But yet when He was crucified, they had mourned. But yet, here He is, standing in front of them. And they worship Him. They worship the One who simply told them the truth. He is the truth. Correct? He is the way, the truth, and the life. And and in this moment, they fully realize He truly is who He said He was. He is the Son of God. Now we understand He was buried. Three days later, He rose. He is the Messiah. And so what is the only proper response when we understand who Christ is? Worship. But some doubted. You see that in there? Crazy, right? I thought as Christians we were supposed to have perfect faith and everything was supposed to be great. We never doubt. We never fear. Even here. Even on the mountain. Seeing Him, some doubt it. We are the, listen, in your own personal life, but even in the Scriptures, we, the humans, even those that have been saved by the grace of God, we are the ones who are weak. He is the one who is strong. We are the ones who doubt. We are the ones who are faithless. If every single one of us was honest, We would have to confess there have been moments in our lives where we didn't really just lack faith. We were were really operating as if we had no faith. We were faithless. We are the ones who are faithless. He is the one who is faithful. We are the ones who are in need. He is the one who supplieth every need. And even here, some doubted. Now, if you've ever been there, Or even if you're here this morning, you might be asking, well, Caleb, I wish you could just tell us something from the Scriptures that would help us not doubt. Have you ever been in a moment of doubt and then you finally get to a point where you think, I don't want to feel this way. I want my faith to be strengthened. I want to know my Savior more. I don't like operating from a position of little faith. I do want my faith to grow. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that discomfort within your soul of knowing I'm a Christian and I lack faith? My instruction is is very simple. I believe I talked about this a good bit last time I was here uh, as part of the sermon, but just consider Christ. 
The more that we consider Him and meditate upon who He is, our faith will automatically, instinctually grow. As a Christian, what is the object of our faith? It ought to be Christ. He is Lord. He is worthy. So if He is the object of our faith, the more that we set our hearts and minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the more we set our minds upon Him, the more our faith will grow. But what specifically in these verses? Some doubted and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now Jesus, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father, isn't speaking here as if He has not had authority for all time. We know all things were created through Him. There was not anything that was created that was not created by Him. He is over all things. He has the preeminency in all things. So, we know that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all equal and they, God, has the authority over all things. So, Jesus isn't speaking here as if to say, well, I didn't have authority and now I'm finally getting the authority. He is speaking, what did He say upon the cross? It is finished. His work here on earth is done. Because of that, He has fulfilled all the things that the Father had for Him and all authority has been given to Him. When Christ came the first time, He came what? As a Savior? When Christ returns, how is He going to return? As a judge. Only one who has all authority can return as a judge. You say, okay... How is that supposed to help my faith? How is that supposed to help me not doubt? If you are a Christian, you should have a firm belief that you serve Jesus the Lord. We've established that. And Christ the Lord has all authority in heaven and on earth. What does that leave out of His reign? Nothing. So as believers, we have a Savior. And that Savior is the one who possesses all authority over all things. Therefore, what have we to fear? Why should we ever doubt? Why should we ever lack faith? We serve the only begotten of God. We serve the only mediator between God and man. We serve... The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We serve the one who conquered sin and death. We serve life. He is life. This is who we serve. So let us consider how He used His authority. How did Christ exercise His authority? In many ways... But I want us to focus simply on one. If you're a believer here this morning, Christ exercised His authority in such a way that He purchased your redemption. And He revealed the Father to you. He did not have to do that. Do you understand that? All of us need to grasp that. Christ did not have to save you. God, in His grace did not have to 
make a plan of redemption for his people. He did so because it was his good pleasure to do so. You know what that means? He did it because he wanted to. He did it because he wanted to. Christ, all authority in heaven and earth. And what does he use that authority to do? Lead all of those that were given to him by the Father. Lead all of the sheep to the Father. That's what he exercises his authority. Or that's how he exercises his authority. He exercises his authority to raise up on the last day. To raise up all that were given to him by the Father. To raise up all who believe. So if you are a Christian here today... You need to have a firm grasp and a firm faith and understanding that how does Christ exercise His authority in our lives? He has saved us. He has freed us from the bondage to sin. He has raised us up to new life. He also sent the Spirit as a seal and a guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. We know, y'all know, I think I probably mentioned this every time that I've been here. But it is a, a key verse within all of the Scriptures. And I, in my humble opinion, it ought to be a key verse. It ought to be a bedrock verse in the life of every believer. How does he exercise this authority over all things, over all creation? Will all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes? And if that is true in our life, then we don't ever have to doubt who he is. Or is he going to come through for us this time? Does he really hear our prayers? Is he really who he says he is? Listen. When we have thoughts like that, this is, this is how we need to understand this. When we have thoughts like that, we are questioning and we are doubting the one who has authority over all creation. We are questioning and we are doubting the Holy One of all creation. Shame on us. We ought to fall on our faces and repent. All authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. Let me add kind of an echo to that. Daniel chapter 4. I'm 99.99999% sure I used that as a cross-reference last time I was here. But I know that I had about 25 cross-references last time that I was here. But Daniel chapter 4. When King Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his senses, what does he say? His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Speaking of God. None can stay his hand. He does as he pleases with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven. Doesn't that sound very similar to what we just read here in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. I think I've made this joke before. I'm going to make it again. I'm going to give you some seminary level education. I don't even have a seminary level education. Okay, But this is deep. Are you ready? And make sure everybody's paying attention here. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to figure out what the therefore is there for. Ain't that deep? When somebody says therefore, that means, okay, I was making a point, I was making a point, I'm making a point, then I get here. So, because all of this is true, therefore, you need to act. Okay? So, making an argument, building an argument, building a case, therefore... 
If all of this is true, here's your response. Here's what you need to do. Therefore. So you've got to figure out what the therefore is there for. So, what have we covered so far? Well, really, all that Jesus has said is, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Have you ever had a time in your life where the preacher preached something or maybe or maybe you were just reading something in Scripture and in your head you were thinking, I wish it was just more, more easy to understand. I, w- I wish somebody could make this more simple so that I can understand it. Well, let's not overcomplicate this, y'all. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Do you believe that? Hey, you can, I, I'm not getting all, You can shake your head, you can say yes, but I really want you to ponder that one in your heart and in your mind. Do you believe that? All authority has been given to Him. And if you say, yes, I believe that. I believe He's Lord. I believe all authority has been given unto Him. Therefore, go. He doesn't specify just, you know, well, I want all the men, you know, just just men or just this. Or just, go. go. All authority has been given to me. Go. Say, all right. We go. What do we do? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let's break down that that phrase there. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now right there, that's where we typically, we shift gears and we say, oh, this is talking about missions. All nations, you've got to send them out, send them out. Hear me out. You drive into the city of Alma, drive into the city of Baxley, you're going to have people with a Latino background. That's a a different nation. That's a different people. You're going to have people with an African-American background, different nation, different people. You're going to have people with, with, with an Asian background. That's a different nation, different people. You're going to have people that are from India, different nation, different people. A neat thing about America, you know, the melting pot, right? The cool thing about that is, if we want to reach all the nations, walk outside. Walk outside. It's not about, well, how much money can... I'm not going to be a missionary, so how much money can we give for somebody? Walk outside. There's people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And what is our command? Make disciples. How many of us are doing that? You don't have to answer that out loud. But I beg of you, ponder that one. Are you out there sharing the hope of gospel with the people? With the people? Are you out there sharing the truth that Jesus is Lord with the people? Are you calling people to repentance and faith? Are you seeking to make the disciples of all nations and tribes and tongues? Or is your Christian faith something you do on Sundays? All authority granted to Him. Go. Make disciples. Just to, just to bolster that point a little bit, go back to Revelation if you will. 
We've already read from Revelation 5. We'll be in Revelation 7. We've already read from Revelation 5. And part of what was said there is that you, you have made them priest. Well, who did he make priest? People from every tribe, tongue, nation, everybody. So that's, we get a glimpse of that in Matthew. This, this is the will of God. This is the will of God to make a people for his own possession that is not just ethnic Israel. It's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from all over the globe. All who believe upon Christ. And what's going to be the culmination of that? What is this going to look like once we're with Him in glory forever? What is the outcome of this? What is the outcome of the fact that, that Christ died to set the captive free? Christ died to cover the sins of, of all who would ever believe? What's the, what's the culmination of that? Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When we are obedient to this command to go and make disciples, God is allowing us, and I want to be, I want to be very careful with how I word that. God is allowing us to play a small part in His plan of bringing the nations to Himself. Of uniting the nations in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is an eternal plan. That is, that is an eternal uh, thing that, that we get to play a small part in. Right here in Alma. Right up the road in Baxley. And when I know that when we're at church and we talk about it, I know some of you might be, think, some of you might be having the thought right now, man, why would, we, why would we ever not want to take part in a plan like that? Why would we ever not want to participate in, in the Great Commission to go and make disciples? You know, it's easy for us to have thoughts while we're at church of, oh man, I'm getting fired up. This is good. I'm going I'm to go home and I'm going to start doing this and everything. But we know because we're in the flesh, when we're weak, we might get home and tomorrow morning we wake up, we stub our toe, and the last thing that we're thinking about is sharing the gospel with somebody tomorrow. The last thing that, we th that we're thinking about is, is being the light that shines in the darkness around us. It takes something... Just like that, to just completely throw us off, and we're not even thinking about sharing the hope of eternal life with those around us. We're not, we're not even thinking that we ourselves have been cleansed and have been set free. And we're not walking in thankfulness and walking in, in gratefulness of the fact that we ourselves have been saved. But when we are sober minded and our hearts and minds are set upon Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We realize He has all the authority. He has saved me. He has brought me to the Father and He will bring me fully to the Father. Why did He leave me here? Why am I here? What is my purpose? To glorify Him in all things. To be obedient to His commands. What is one of the things that He commanded us to do? Go. Make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Baptize them in the name of the Holy Triune God of all creation. I don't have time to give not even a sermonette on the doctrine of the Trinity. But we need to understand something. It is important to understand that God is the great three in one. Okay? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Spirit is not the Father. But they are all God. You say, Cato, that's very hard to comprehend. That's very hard to understand. Amen. Nevertheless, it is a blessed truth of Scripture. Just as the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit. And the Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance when we are brought back into the presence of the Father for eternity. The Trinity works in unison to accomplish salvation for the people of God. I put it this way. The Father so chose to give a people to the Son. The Father then chose to send the Son to purchase the redemption of said people. The Son sends the Spirit... The Spirit regenerates those people. He washes them in the regeneration of the Spirit, raises them up to new life, and seals them for the glory of the Father. So baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I or all that I have commanded you, or all things that I have commanded you. That right there is where I believe. Modern Christianity has absolutely, unequivocally dropped the ball. You say, Caleb, how can you make a statement like that? We look at this verse and we believe, or we look at these verses and we believe that this means going and, you know, Telling people about Jesus and asking them to say the sinner's prayer or, or telling them they need to ask Jesus into their heart or telling them that they need to give their life to Jesus and everything else. None of that. You won't find it in there. What did Jesus command people to do? Repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did the apostles declare to people? Repent. When Peter preached his great sermon on the day of Pentecost... And the men said, what must we do to be saved? He didn't say, ask Him into your heart. Give your life to Him. What did He say? Repent. Be baptized. Each and every one of you. We tell people these days, give your heart to Jesus. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. Desperately wicked. He doesn't want your heart. Your heart is wicked. Scripture tells us He gives us a new heart. That's the point. We are wretched. We don't need to just say, here I am, I'm wretched and, and sinful, but I'm going to give myself to, to you. No. Jesus says, you need to be born again. Born again. You need to become a new creature. By the way, that's what happens through salvation. Right? We become a new creation. A new heart, a new mind, a new life. We're not the same person. 
What does the world around us need to hear more than anything right now? The truth. What is the truth? Jesus is Lord. You say, well, that that doesn't really sound like the gospel. Oh, but it is. Jesus is Lord. And He laid down His life. And He rose again. And all who believe in Him would never perish. Why? Because He's Lord and He has the authority. He has the authority to grant life to all who believe. So what does the lost and dying world around us need to hear? That they are guilty. They're under the wrath of God. They need to repent. He is Lord. He is Lord. We, we shared it as a prayer request and, and it is a monumental prayer request. But the laws that are getting passed through this nation, you said you've already made a phone call to a sinner. What do those people need to hear? Hey, Jesus is Lord. You're going to have to answer to Him one day. You're going to have to answer for every wicked, vile law that you put into place. Repent and turn to Him. You say, Caleb, if we start doing stuff like that, people will think we're crazy. Pretty sure a lot of people thought these people were crazy in the Scriptures. Well, Caleb, if we start doing stuff like that, they might want to hurt us. They crucified our Savior. Why do you expect anything less? One crucified upside down. Which, by the way, that was because he refused to be killed in the same way that Christ was killed. So if you're going to crucify me, you're going to have to do it upside down because I'm not even worthy to die in the same way that he died. We don't get that in today's world. What do we get? Well, Jesus loves you and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to live a good life and it's all emotional and it's all... Listen, that ain't... Does God want us to be happy? Yes, in him. That's the key. God wants our joy and our happiness and our contentment to be in him. So that when the world comes knocking with persecution, people getting fired because they won't obey, the Christian can stand and say, do whatever you want to me. My happiness and my joy, my contentment and my life is in Christ. You can kill me if you want to. To die is gain. Doing me a favor. As long as I'm alive here on this earth, though, I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus. He is Lord. But if you want to kill me, you're really doing me a favor. Christians don't. That's not the type of Christianity we have in America today. It ain't it. We have weak, lifeless Christianity. To the extent that people. And I I, I know I chuckled, but really, I mean, this is I, I chuckle because it's. It's heartbreaking. It's one of those things, it's, easy, it's easier to laugh than it is to cry. But we ought to be crying. Preachers will get run off because they preach the truth. And you'll ask, well, what, did you, what didn't y'all like? Well, he said things that, you know, really, he kind of hurt our feelings with some of the stuff he was preaching. Well, if your feelings are getting hurt or if you're offended because the preacher's preaching about sin and you're guilty of sin, the problem isn't with him, isn't with him the problem is with you. The problem with that, if I listen, listen, I was at a conference this week and there were some things that the preachers were preaching. 
it wasn't just stepping on my toes. One of our good friends says, that, you know, sometimes he needs to bring knee pads to church because it steps on his toes, but then it starts working all the way up his legs. And that's kind of how I felt. I mean, there was some stuff that these preachers were preaching that I was like, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But what our natural instinct is to do is say, well, I didn't like that sermon. Why didn't you like that sermon? Well, he was just saying some things that I didn't like. Well, what didn't you like about it? Well, he was talking about stuff that I'm guilty of. Repent. Oh, well, the preacher was meddling. Well, what do you mean the preacher was meddling? Well, he was preaching about stuff that I, I don't even know how he knows that I do it. He probably doesn't. He's preaching the truth and the spirit of God is convicting you and calling you to repentance. Stop complaining and repent. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Repent. What are some other things that Jesus commanded? Love the brethren. I could have picked a lot of the teachings of Jesus. I'm not about to sit here and try to go through all of them. Don't worry. You're not going to be here all day. But one of the key things. I've already mentioned one. Okay. When Jesus called people to salvation, when the apostles called people to salvation, it was repent. Okay? Repent and believe. The other thing that really stands out in my mind that I believe that, again, we, myself included, I'll hold both hands up. Jesus commanded us to love the brethren. To the extent that if your brother does something that upsets you, you're supposed to go to that brother and settle the score. Settle the disagreement. By the way, settle the score in this instance doesn't mean you go beat that brother up and you say, well, that's settled. You settle it in a way that honors and pleases God. What honors and pleases God? That the brethren love one another with the same exact love. Catch this. That the Father has for the Son, and the Son has for the Spirit, and the Spirit has for the Father. With the same eternal, perfect love that the Trinity has within itself. Let me expand on that just a little bit. There's no division within the Trinity. Three in one. How many times can you divide one? Exactly. Is Christ divided? Paul said that in Corinthians. Is Christ divided? Even she knows. One. I know in Baxley there's at least 120 churches. I don't care who would try to defend it or who would try to justify it. Listen. That is proof positive without question. There is no love between the brethren. Here's how we settle things, especially here in the South. Let's just be real. I'm not even going to say in America. Here's how a lot of times we, we settle things in the South. Well, I just don't agree with that. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I might just go up the road and start my own church. And we do. That is pitiful. But let me say this, it's not just pitiful, it's sinful. It's wickedness. What does Christ say? 
If you go to the altar and you've got something going on between you and a brother, your worship is not accepted until you go to your brother and settle it. You know what that means? Now hear this. If somebody went and started a church because there was a disagreement, and that disagreement has never been settled, the worship that takes place at that church is probably not accepted by God. Now do we see the gravity of the situation? Don't you leave your gift on the altar. Or no, don't you place your gift upon the altar. You leave it there, then go settle the score, then you come back. How many Christians today are walking around with unforgiveness in their heart? Oh, every time I think about that person, I just, I get mad all over again. And I, I hope I never have to see them again. That's wickedness. Repent. Repent. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Whatever they did to you is nothing compared to how wretched and vile we are before God and Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. That's something Jesus commanded. Do we teach that nowadays in church? Forget teaching that to the lost. Do we teach it to other people who call themselves Christian? No, a lot of times it's, well, you're right, I don't know what they did to you, so I guess you're okay. No! There is no excuse. Gone are the days where a brother falls in sin or a sister falls in sin and the brethren are there to what? Restore them. Now we live in a day and age where a brother or sister falls and we damn them. I never want to see them again. Can't believe they would do such a thing. Now, if it's an unrepentant brother or sister, of course, you turn them over to Satan. That's what the scripture says. If they're unrepentant. But if they are broken, if they are mourning over their sin, if they are asking for your forgiveness and you deny them that forgiveness, you are in sin. And God does not accept your worship. So there's just two things that Jesus taught that we don't really hear much about anymore. But what's the command? Teach all things that I commanded you. Go therefore and make disciples. How is a disciple made? The gospel goes out. Repent and believe. Jesus is Lord. And by God's grace, people hear that and say, I want to be saved. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in Christ Jesus. I want to be His disciple. Okay? You want to be a disciple? A disciple is a student. A student must learn the teachings of the Master. Here are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Where do we find the... This isn't a trick question. Please don't overthink it. Where do we find the teachings of Jesus Christ? A Christian cannot teach anybody else unless that Christian first knows for himself. How do you teach that which you do not know? You can't. A lot of times people will say, well, I get real nervous when I try to talk to people about Jesus because I don't know what I would say. Read your Bible. If you don't know what to say, what's a surefire way to figure out what to say?
say, well, I don't, I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would tell them. Do we know the gospel? Okay, start there. Because I think everybody that makes a profession of faith knows at least enough to say, okay, I might not know all the details, but I know that Jesus was born, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross, rose third day. Okay, start there. Share that with somebody. Well, what if they ask me a question I don't know? That's okay. We're not called to have the answer to every single question somebody might have. What are we called to do? Tell them the truth. What's the truth? Jesus Christ is Lord. He has come. He died. He was buried. He's risen again, all according to the Scriptures. And you are commanded to repent and believe. Well, what about this and what about that? Just look the per- Listen, it's okay to look somebody in the face and say, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Jesus is Lord. And if you flee from your sin and run to Him, you will find Him to be a perfect Savior. I don't have all the answers. But I know that to be true. But let me, let me add to that this. If that's you. And listen, I've been there. There's times that I'm still there. People have some really hard questions, y'all. The more you start talking to people, they'll ask you something. I guarantee you, there will be at least once in your life, probably at least a hundred times in your life, but at least once in your life where you're going to have to say, I got nothing. I don't know where in the world to even begin with that question. I don't know what to say to you. And that's okay. That's okay. But if that's you and you say, and you're being honest with yourself, you don't have to answer this out loud. But if you're honest with yourself and you say, the real reason that I wouldn't really know what to say is because I don't really know what's in the Scriptures myself. Then you need to repent of neglecting the Scriptures and seek God's face in His Word. And as you become more acquainted with the Scriptures, you will be much more well prepared to go out and make disciples of all nations. You say, okay, well, that, and we're closing now. We're to the end of this passage. You say, that's a really tall task. How could we do that? We are called to go out into a lost and dying world and speak of Christ and share the gospel. What if we don't know the words to say? What if we, what if we stutter and, and people, just, people just think we sound dumb? You know, what, what, what if we're sharing the gospel and we just, we, we just lose it? We just, we just, we have nothing to say and we, we, we hit a, we hit a, a blank spot in our mind or what, what if we fail? What if we share the gospel with a thousand people and none of them ever believe? Does that mean we failed? Well, what if this happens and what, there's just so much, there's just so much to think about and consider. No, there's not. Jesus said all authority was given to him. He said, go, so you obey All of the questions you carry with you, and you can take those questions to God in prayer. What about this? What about that? But here's what settles the score. Do you want confidence when you go out and share the gospel? Do you want confidence when you men at home? Do you want confidence as you're leading your wife and your children in family devotion? Which, by the way, if that's not happening, that needs to be happening. If you want confidence when you speak to your children of God, if you if you want confidence when you speak to your co-workers about the Lord, if you want confidence in your daily walk with Christ, know this. Jesus didn't just say, go therefore make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then that was it. He said, and behold, I am with you always. Where we go, God is with us. When you 
When you walk into that situation that you've been running from for months, for years, and you say, I just, I get too nervous, I get too scared, I can't do it, I wouldn't know what to say. When you walk into that situation, God is with you. When Moses finally went back to Pharaoh, after telling God, I can't do it, I have an uncircumcised tongue, I can't do it. When Moses finally went and did it, God was with him. When the apostles went and proclaimed the gospel to those that were seeking to kill them, God was with them. When we go out into a world that hates Christ, and we get nervous and we get scared, we get fearful, we need to remind ourselves, He promised us. He's with us. Always. When we remind ourselves of that, we realize, okay, it's never been about me to begin with. Jesus said, all authority has been given to Him. He gave a commandment. I need to obey Him. And He is greater than all my fear and all my anxiety and all my doubt and all of my questions. He is greater. And He's with me. Emmanuel. God with us. So this, this is the Great Commission. So ask yourself some of the questions that we considered this morning. Do you really believe that Jesus is Lord? I'll say to you what, what was referenced there. If you don't, if you don't have faith that Christ is Lord, the command is repent and believe. And I know for a fact, because it's given to us in the Scriptures, those who repent and run to Christ for salvation will find Him to be a perfect Savior. But if you're a believer and you say, yep, He's Lord. I believe that He is Lord. Do you live your life as if He is Lord? Are you obedient to Him? I know that we are still in the flesh. I know that we fall. When you fall, do you know that you have an advocate with the Father? And you ask for forgiveness? And you continue to press forward instead of looking behind? Do you live as though He's Lord? Do you live as though you can trust His promises? Are we obedient to this command? Do we go and we seek to share the hope of the gospel with all people? Making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation because that is the will of God. And to the unbeliever once more, as simply as I know how to put it, He is Lord. Repent. And believe. All who come to Him will be raised up on the last day. Amen. All who believe never perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for Your Son, our Savior, our Lord, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of our salvation. God, we praise You. 
Lord, I pray in these brief moments that we have considered Christ our Savior and we have considered the Great Commission. God, I pray that those who are in our midst that may be lost, God, I pray that through hearing of Christ the Lord, through hearing a call to repentance, through hearing the hope of the gospel that all who believe are saved, God, I pray that even right here and now, God, you are raising them up to new life, drawing them to salvation. For those of us that you have already raised up and made your own, God, I pray that you would convict us of our sin. I pray that you would purify us and sanctify us through your word. I pray that we would be set apart for your own possession, that we would seek to be holy as you are holy. And God, I pray that we would have a zeal and a strong desire to go out and make disciples of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that we would know you through your word so that we would know what to teach. And that is all things that you have commanded. Father, I pray that you are well pleased with your people. Pray that you would magnify your name through your word and through the work of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.